0: Greetings in Jesus' name, I'm Bishop Chester Wright. This is a video teaching series, Our Motives from God's Perspective, Part 4. This is lesson number 12 in Part 4, and uh, the theme of this lesson is experiencing the second work of the cross in our daily lives. Because... The second work of the cross, as we've taught in previous lessons and previous parts of this series, uh, the second work of cross cross is, is us being crucified with Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, or excuse me, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me Do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So the second work of the cross, the Lord takes us from being spiritually dead and gives us life, and then we lay that life down and die to that life, to him. And he gives us abundant life because he lives in us. Now, we have, he, re, he gave us his spirit to give us life. But he gives us something more than just his spirit. We have the logos of God abiding in us, and its anointing is in us when Christ moves in to live. Now, some will fuss and say that's a new doctrine. It's not a new doctrine. It's been in the Bible. That's why Paul said to the Ephesians chapter 3 that he prayed that they would be strengthened with might by his spirit uh, in their inner man that Christ may dwell in their hearts by faith. It's a difference between receiving the Holy Ghost and, and having the word of God as the rule of your life, having the... The rule, the word of God as it was manifested through the body of the man Christ Jesus, the Son of God, having that rule, that word rule in your life, having the will of God sitting on the throne of your heart in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's different than just receiving the Spirit. It's not a different person. It's a different manifestation, and it's a different degree of God working in us. Now, the spirit, we, we die out to our our old man in crucifixion, which is repentance, and we're buried. Uh, our old man is buried because he's now dead with Christ, and we are buried with him in baptism, and then with him we are resurrected to walk in newness of life. But the spirit of God is in us. We still are human. We still have flesh. We're still living by that flesh. So God begins to work to bring us to this new death he died so that we can live but in this new dimension we like we die so he can live through us in this world i i i avoided that for years i avoided that for years i uh i i thought i thought that it was going to be it would make me an automaton i thought that it would uh uh I wouldn't even have a personality anymore. I, I I would never be able to do anything I wanted to do. I that I, I would just kind of be like a robot. I I had really avoided that. And now the Lord in his mercy and his love for me, He let situations happen where I got desperate enough that uh I would die out to myself. And I wasn't telling myself this. I I thought I was dying out, but I would die out to myself because he uh, I was so desperate that I knew I couldn't fix it, and he had to fix it. So I would die out to myself. And in my desperation, I would come to the end of me. But when things got better, I didn't stay dead. And so I go through this experience over and over and over again, and I assumed that it was going to be like that. I knew the scripture says, 2 Corinthians five seventeen: uh, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But in doing the unwise thing and measure myself by myself and comparing myself with others, uh, I saw that. There was none of us that was doing this perfectly. There was nobody that was doing it, uh, without flaws and failures. And so I guess I justified that, uh, well, I didn't guess I justified. I did justify that. Okay. Well, it says, if any man be in Christ, he new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Well, this is just, this is just a goal, but we can't reach it. We can't get there. And, uh, and I certainly, you know, I'm doing the best I can. God, I don't know what more you want out of me, but I'm doing the best I can. So my life went like that over and over and over again. And, uh, I, you know, I was constantly praying and and trying to do the will of God uh, mixed in with times where I did my own will. And so I didn't really believe that I had divided my life up between the natural and spiritual. But in practice, there were times Uh, when it was time for me to take a break. I needed a break. I was tired. I was whatever. I was exhausted. Uh, I'd gone as far as I could go. I needed a break. And so taking a break meant taking a break from doing the will of God, not doing sin, except that sin is not doing the will of God. But I meant by immorality. I wouldn't go and go do bad stuff. I just... Read my own life for a few days. Well, the problem is a few days turns into a few weeks. And if you don't come to yourself by the Lord getting your attention, uh, those few weeks turns into a few months. And the next thing you know, you're not doing the will of God at all. You're You're in your own strength, back to laboring, trying to get this done, trying to make this happen. So then you have to have a revival where you have to pray through again and you'll have to lay it all down again. You have to reconsecrate and rededicate and renew. So here we are again. So, oh, Lord, I'm going to do your will now. I want to do your will. And so I would do his will for a while. I would do his will for a while. And then (laughs) I did all I could. I did the best I could, but in that situation, uh, there was always something missing. I don't mean an emptiness, but I always knew there was more. I read the word. I prayed. I prayed in tongues. I prayed in the spirit. I I did my best to walk in the spirit by the grace of God. He taught me about peace and righteousness, and he taught me about grace and And all of that, he talked to me about all that. He talked to me about how to do those things. And I would practice them for a while, but it uh, wouldn't always last very long. Sometimes it would last longer than others, but I backed down to that thing. And so the good thing is, because he had delivered me from shame, as I taught in part two, uh, he helped me to forgive, you know, to repent. And to forgive myself for those failures. And, you know, I didn't wallow in all of that. But I just, I'd have to come back to a major point of dying out to my will again. This went on and on. And the Lord used me. There were things that happened. Uh, He did things through me. I was uh, his instrument. And he had given me gifts. And those gifts operated. And uh thankfully, most of the time those gifts were operating, they were not done in front of crowds. It wasn't done. I knew better than to do it for performance. I didn't want to do it for performance. I wanted his to please him, but I didn't want to attract man's attention because men will turn on you, see. You got man's attention. Those that are praising you one minute for the miracles you perform, Jesus, they're the ones who cur- cry and crucify you the next minute. So I, I didn't I didn't want that from men. I wanted that from God, but I didn't always want to do the will of God because the will of God would put you out there where you were exposed and you couldn't protect yourself. So this went on, and uh, it was nineteen. It was two thousand three. Uh, I was uh, in Africa in February ministering. My wife didn't go with me that time, and I got home uh, on a, uh, uh, I don't remember if it was a Thursday night or a Friday, uh, just before my birthday, which was going to be on Monday. And uh, But when I got home, I found that there was a big snowstorm being predicted. It turned out to be the biggest snowstorm we've ever had here. In the 54 years I've lived, 56 years, 57 years I've lived in Maryland. uh, It started snowing on Friday evening before it got dark and it snowed uh, all Friday night, all day Saturday, all Saturday night, and all Sunday morning. And uh, there was so much snow that my son and I, who was still, my youngest who was still living at home at that time, but he was, full grown, pretty much. Uh, He was 22 uh, at that time. 23, actually. Uh, No, 22, sorry. And he he and I got out to shovel our driveway, and the snow was up to our hip bones. He's taller than me. And it took us about... The whole afternoon Saturday, just to shovel our driveway to try to get it uh, where we could get out. And then, uh, of course, the snow plows overnight, fill the end back up with a mountain of snow. But something happened on Sunday afternoon. The snow stopped for a while. But then it, up after a couple of hours, it restarted. And uh, it was a different kind of snow. The first one, it had been really cold. But then all of a sudden, the temperature rose. From the uh, upper teens, low twenties, which caused the all that other er, earlier snow to be powdery, which we don't normally get in Maryland, uh, we get it. We get wet snow, but this was powdery snow, and it was deep snow. Didn't compact. Didn't make good snowballs. Didn't make good snowmen. Didn't n- any of that. And so uh, it was uh, this new snow that was coming down it was a different system in the the news said it was a different system. It wasn't the same system and the temperatures rose and this was wet snow, but it was very windy. We hadn't had any wind in the big snow was very, uh, everything was very evenly distributed, very little wind. And the, the new storm was a lot of wind. And, uh, so obviously we didn't have church Saturday or Sunday. So Monday was my birthday. And, uh, I got a call from one of the guys that works for the church, and he said uh, it was my birthday, February the 18th, 2003. I was 57. And uh, he called, and sometimes he thinks he's funny and uh, like to joke around. So he called me. It was 8 o'clock on my birthday. And he called and said, Brother Wright, I just want to let you know that the, Churches collapsed in the snow. I said, Come on, man. I know this is my birthday, but that's not funny. You're not being funny. And then I heard a tone in his voice I don't know if I'd ever heard exactly like that. He said, Brother Wright, I really, really wish I was joking. I wish I was joking. I wish we could have a big laugh over this once you get over being upset with me. But I'm not joking. The building's collapsed. In the snow. Well, my heart fell to my toes and I'm going, I don't know. I don't know about this. I don't know what's going on here. And uh, uh, I said, well, I I can't get my car out. We shell the driveway, but there's a big mound down between the end of our driveway and the street and I can't get out. He said, well, I've got my truck and. It's four wheel drive, as you know. I'll come get you. So, in kind of a daze, hoping that we're—it's a bad dream we could wake up from. My wife and myself and my son—we got dressed and met him at the uh, foot of our driveway, and we kind of climbed over the mountain of snow that the plow had created, and got in his truck, and we drove to the church, and because. Streets by the church hadn't been plowed. We had to park in uh, the office parking lot of this uh, complex down the hill from our church. And uh, we walked through hip-high snow uh, across uh, the street and up the the, uh, uh, narrow community road up the side of our property. And because we were walking uphill and there's an embankment, we couldn't see the building. But when we got to the stop, to top and I turned and then I could see the building and there the building was, it was collapsed. I mean, it was just down. The roof was down. There's snow everywhere. And I'm standing there looking at that and I'm going, okay, this is different. We've had a lot of troubles and trials here in the past, but we have never had a catastrophe like this. And, uh, our building was actually two buildings. The original building was two buildings with a foyer in between. The right side was uh, my right, your left, was the auditorium. When you're facing the building, or was the auditorium. The other side was the school, and there was gym in the back. And But then as we grew, uh, we were going to build an auditorium out front, and so the idea was to expand the – put a second floor of the auditorium, turn that all into school because our school was growing and doing well. And uh, we needed more educational space and all that. And then we were going to expand the gym in the back and uh, we would use it as the auditorium until we could build the the, the building out front. Well, uh, by the time we got the uh, gym built and the auditorium with a new floor in it, the economy totally collapsed in 88. And uh, we had people that went over a year without any income and we almost lost the building. And it was a very difficult time. And that broke me, but it didn't break me. That broke me, but it didn't broke, break me. It didn't get it done. The Lord tried to do it through all of that. It was a very difficult time. We had to lay people off and we had to stop our PIMs because we had no money. We had uh, about a third of our church was involved in construction. The construction industry came to a total halt. Interest rates went through the roof. Uh, people couldn't afford to buy they couldn't afford to build period so we were we were really in a bad shape well none of that none of that accomplished in me what i didn't understand then that God was doing in me well then some uh fifteen years later. While God continued to teach me and continue to work in my life and talk to me. And there were other times that I would, I would die out to stuff. Uh, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. So I'm standing there looking at a building collapsed. The right side, which was the auditorium, is now a school, two stories. Uh, It was a different type of construction. It was the heavy steel beams, and it had a lot of snow on it. We could see some damage with that. It was still essentially standing, but the left side, it was the lightweight steel, uh, which was less expensive, and it collapsed. What we uh, discerned happened was that snow, which was up to our hip on this roof, that didn't cause the building collapse. It didn't collapse like this but that lightweight steel, the walls are very lightweight. All that snow was on the, from the fourth storm storm was on there evenly, but the wind from the second storm was at a perpendicular. So it blew the snow from one side of the roof to the other. So now one side has no snow on it. The other's got a lot of snow on it and it pushed the building down like this. And, uh, the big steel, big steel building, uh, it had that whatever, but it deflected the snow. It de- it, the building deflected, and uh, it didn't collapse. It did a lot of damage, over a quarter million dollars worth of damage to that side. So we now have no place to have church. Well, we had a multiple congregation church. We had daughter works, preacher points, small groups, and all that. So uh, we were able to prosper spiritually spiritually. Numbers wise, uh, even though we lost our building. But the immediate impact on that was different on me. I had designed this building. I had overseen the construction of it. I had blood, sweat, and tears in this building. And uh there were memories I could take you to different places where God had God did this and God said that and, and this happened and that happened where God spoke this to me here. And this is where I got the revelation of shame praying for brother Tom. And, and this is, this is where David was married. And this is where my grandchildren were dedicated. this one got the Holy ghost here. And here, the prayer room was back there that had an angelic manifestation. And anytime you walked in, anybody could walk in there and feel the presence of God. It was the most amazing thing. All of that was there. I had a nice office. My wife had a nice office. We had a nice conference room. All of that was there. And, uh, it's now all gone. The first three months or so, there was so much to do. I, I could avoid having to deal with all that. The loss, the sense of loss was overwhelming. Uh, I had so much invested in that. Emotionally, mentally, spiritually, financially, that it was just very difficult. So I was able to avoid dealing with it. But around... First part of June, there was nothing left for me to do. We were just waiting for the insurance company to see what they were going to do. And we had found some other places to have services. And the church was going along fine, but I wasn't doing well. I I, I had, it was bad. I, I wasn't sinning. I was sitting home. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't see anybody. I didn't even, I didn't understand what depression was. But obviously looking back on it, I was depressed. My way is done. I had there were some brethren that came to me and tried to talk to me about trusting God. It's going to be okay. I didn't want to hear it. All through June and through most of July, I was in that situation. and I, I didn't want to preach. I let others preach. I didn't want to preach. I, I, I was just, I was bad off. Uh, I wasn't backsliding from uh, the biblical standpoint, but I was down as far as I'd ever been before. I'd been brought to the end of myself. I didn't have any idea where to go from here in any direction, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, uh, church-wise. I I didn't know what to do. I had given my word that I would uh, lead a manifest meeting in Attleboro, Massachusetts the last couple of days of July, the first day of June, which is Thursday, Friday of uh, 2003. And uh, I'd given my word, so I made up my mind. I'm going to go. I'll be there because I'm uh, technically in charge of the meeting. But Brother David Chatwell and Brother Franklin Howard were going to, already scheduled to come. They had already agreed to come, and the three of us were going to minister in that meeting together. And so I made up my mind. They're going to do all the ministry. I'm not going to do any ministry. I'm going to do it. Don't feel like it. And so I flew up there on July the 30th. Got in there that day. It was Wednesday. We were going to start that night. And I got there early, rented a car, and got to the airport, back to the airport in time to pick them up. Uh, they came in on the same flight, and we were going to get something to eat and then go to the church, go to the hotel, get ready, and go to church that night. So I picked him up, and uh, we went to a restaurant and sat to eat, to eat. And You know, Brother Shatwell, he is big. He's a lot bigger than me, thank God. He's a big, big guy. Big old hands. He's just big. And he was sitting here, and Brother Howard was sitting here across the table from me. And uh, we'd kind of gotten settled down, and uh, I said, I need to tell you guys something. And Brother Shatwell looked at me and just like this went, nope. We need to tell you something first. But but I need to tell, no, (laughs) my friend. David said, well, it's my friend. I wouldn't want him to ever be anything but my friend. Okay. Uh, When he went like this, okay, uh, (laughs) I'm shutting up. He said, no, we've got something to tell you. The Lord has spoken to us, he said. And we know how far down you are. We've been praying for you. We know how far down you are. We know how desperately you need help. And But we know that God speaks to you and you speak whatever God gives you. And the Holy Ghost has told us that we are not to do any teaching or ministering in this seminar, this manifest meeting. Because God is going to heal you by the words he gives you to say. He will deliver and heal you by those words. I said, no, no, I'm not doing any preaching and teaching at all. I'm not doing anything. I'm here with you guys. You guys are going to do it. And he looked at me and said, oh, this is what God's told us to do. And we're going to do what God says. And if you'll agree to do what God says and you do all the ministry because God wants to heal you through that word flowing through you, then he, Brother Ch- Howard and I, we, we'll, we've agreed, we'll stay here and pray with you and minister to people in prayer with you, but we're not doing any of the teaching. And if you don't agree with that, you're going to take us back to the airport. We're going to change our flight right now. We've got our bags in your car, and we're going to go home. And you're going to do that teaching one way or the other, your choice. Well, I didn't have a choice. I was so bad off in my own feelings about myself and the circumstances, so hopeless, I felt so hopeless, so hopeless, so helpless, that the last thing I wanted to do was leave. So I said, okay, we'll try it. So starting that night for three nights in two days, long sessions in the daytime, God spoke through me to me. And he talked to me about being crucified with him. He had me teach that. He taught, had me teach about surrendering my will. He had me teach about, uh, casting all my cares on him and giving up control of my life. I taught all of that stuff. And it's not that I'd never taught it before, but I'd never taught it in that context And here I am, everything is coming out of my mouth was speaking to me. I don't remember who else was in that meeting. And I don't remember if anybody else got anything out of that meeting. I don't know. That's between them and God. But I know this. On Friday night, August the 1st, 2003, when the spirit lifted and he was done speaking through me and we were finished praying. And I was finished leading prayer and ministry. I laid the microphone down on the pulpit. And I walked over to the side of the platform. and I got down on the floor and died. I know we have a problem in our own humanity with taking a scripture such as I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. I know we have a problem. We have a problem. I know the problem that we have is we uh, we we understand that Paul did that. God did that to Paul, but Paul's not normal. Paul's not a human. Paul's not like us. So that really can't happen to us. Well, if God is no respecter of persons, it can. And I realized that night, at 50, almost 57 and a half years old, that God does do that. He does bring people to the ultimate end of themselves. And their will moves out, and His will moves in. Because that night, around 10 30, 11 o'clock that night, on Friday night, August the first, two thousand three, I was crucified with Christ, and everything changed. All those things God had been teaching me, that they were gradually working in my life, and would work for a while and stop, and then stop working. That wasn't the way life was anymore. Was the way it was? Anymore. From that moment, that night, to this day, which is now some almost 17 years later, just a few days from being 17 years, uh, I have never asked him for anything for myself, not one thing. I have cast my cares. I have received what he was giving, love from him through which I could love him with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, I, w- I pray that, through which I can, he can use me as a conduit to love others like he has loved me. I pray for his righteousness to cover me because blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. As Paul said, grace, mercy, and peace be upon you. He said grace and peace to the churches, but to Timothy and Titus, he said grace, mercy, and peace. Be upon you from God our Father, even the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that. I receive those things. I confess that without Him I can do nothing. Every day, I confess that without Him I can do nothing. Yes, sir. Every day. And I cast my cares. I receive his mercy that's new every morning because great is his faithfulness. I receive the grace to cast all my cares because he resisteth the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting, that's how you humble yourself. Casting all your care. Giving up the control. Letting go. Letting him have it regardless of what he does with it, how he does with it. From that day, August the 1st, 2003, to this moment, I have never lived one day with pressure. I thought pressure was a part of spirituality. I thought God used pressure to motivate us. But I realized that pressure was a result of me trying to live for God I didn't realize it. He showed me that. He revealed it to me that I was trying to live for God and work for God. And there's where the pressure came. But I have not had any pressure. My friend, I I hope you believe me. I'm telling the truth. But even if you don't believe me, it doesn't matter. I know. And God knows. And I know since that time, I have not been the same person. I've not been the same person. Have there never been any days I've struggled? Yeah. But most of those struggles were because of me doing my conscious will. Because God began to work and and that was 2003 and barely two years later, wasn't even fully two years later, he told me it was time because I'd been ordained bishop in 98. I didn't want to be bishop. I didn't want to be bishop. But the elders in my life said either we're not going to be your elders anymore or you're going to be the bishop because this is what God told us to do. I didn't want to be the bishop. I didn't want another. I've had enough targets on my back. I didn't want one on my chest. been shot at enough. I didn't want all that. So the Lord told me in fall of 2003, it's time to give up being senior pastor slash bishop, just be bishop. So I had to turn over the church to the Lord and to my eldest son, laid hands on him to be the senior pastor. He'd already been co-pastor but I was still senior pastor and, uh, and 18th of December 2005 I gave up being pastor and February of 2006 two months later two months exactly later I turned 60 and Two months after that, my dad passed away. And through all of that, peace, peace, because I cast my cares. And then when I gave up being bishop without telling anybody, I gave up being senior pastor became bishop only, I, without telling anybody, all of a sudden I started getting calls to travel more and more and more. Well, some think that's glamorous. The only people that think traveling is glamorous is those who don't do it. It is glorious. For the Lord, to have the privilege to be His conduit, Him uses us that's glorious it's awesome, but my friend, my friend, it is not glorious, it's not glorious when it's constant airports and constant suitcases and constant hotels and constant restaurants, my favorite bed is my bed, my favorite chair is my recliner. My favorite restaurant is my wife's kitchen, Alice's kitchen. There's no food in the world that compares to her kitchen. And I had to lay all that it down. It's yours, Jesus. You want it? We got it. And then I, tra- I was traveling, and then all of a sudden in uh, June of nine, he says to me, when are you going to trust me and David with this church? And I said, Lord, I've given it to you and David. He said, no, you're still hanging out here too much. Too much. I thought I was tra- traveling more than i ever traveled in my life. I didn't want to do that. Except to his will. I want to do his will. And I didn't own me anymore. He owned me completely. So I'm doing it. And doing it happily. Even though that's not what my flesh wanted. But my flesh is dead now, right? I'm dead to the will of my flesh. So I said, okay, Lord, whatever you want to do. Well, a month later, July of 09, I got a call from Brother Willoughby when she'd come teach, do a shame seminar in Singapore in September. Okay. Okay. That's what you want. Here it comes. I'll do it. And so I went. I don't know what happened. <laughs> but by the time I came home from Singapore in September of 09, I had an invitation to go back at the end of October to... Jakarta, Indonesia, back to Singapore, and to Kuala Lumpur in uh, Malaysia. And I go there. It's a 12, 13-hour time zone change, and I was barely rested from the trip in early September when I left for the next trip to that same area. And I go first to Jakarta and I get off the plane and the superintendent I've never met picks me up and he said, I've been praying that God would give an apostle to Indonesia and you're it. And he says, I can't believe I got Chester Wright in my car and I'm going, what What are you talking about? You don't know Chester, Wright, And I'm the apostle of, Indonesia, God hadn't said that to me. So we went through this meeting. The Lord did stuff. Then I go back to Singapore, where the Willoughby is sick and we're talking. And, and, and then I go to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and I get off the plane, and the superintendent there picks me up in his car. And he says to me, he says to me, uh, I've been praying that God would put an apostle over Malaysia. and uh, The Lord has told me, you're it. And I said to myself, I don't know you, man. I don't know what you think you know about me. I who, I don't know who you think I am, but <laughs> you got to be kidding me. So, I ministered there, I came home, and I was tired. I don't want to be anybody's apostle. When I got home, I had, against the will of my flesh, but in obedience to the spirit that now owns me, I had a trip scheduled back to that region for January, one in March, and one in May. When I got home, I was tired. That was my second trip in just over two months. Mm-hmm. I, I got to turn right around, go back in January, and then I got to turn around and do that in March and do it again in May, and I've already experienced what that is. So I said, to The Lord, <sighs> I need you to change your mind on this. Nothing. So I foolishly, very foolishly, Decided, I'm going to have to change your mind for you. I can't tell you no. I can't. I've already surrendered to your will, so I need to get you to change your will. So very foolishly, I decided, I'm just not going to pray. And you will change your mind. So I didn't ch- I didn't pray for a week. Oh, I can hear, almost hear the gasps. You didn't pray. I purposely didn't pray. Because I couldn't tell him no. There was no way I could tell him no. So I needed him to change his mind. So I'm thinking I can disqualify myself just by not praying. That was, that's how tired I was and how unwise I was. So I didn't pray. I didn't pray. Week went by, never heard a word from him. I didn't feel any condemnation. There was no guilt. There was no conviction. There was nothing. I didn't feel anything. Nothing. He didn't say a word. So I'm desperate. So I said, okay, I'm going to change your mind. So I didn't pray for the second week. Well, by this time, I'm not praying. And flesh that's been crucified has been given a little bit of life. And now some things that had been dead were starting to show up again. So, I went, oh, Lord. But I, I'm desperate. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be anybody's apostle. I didn't want to be a bishop. I was called to Annapolis, Maryland. I just wanted to be here. and Now I've lost my church. I had to give up the church. <laughs> now I've lost my youth. I'm 60. And now, now I, I got to do all this. I'm going to be accountable for, for people like that. It's enough of a challenge to be accountable for saints and for leadership. But I'm going to be accountable for preachers and people who have great spiritual authority in areas. I'm going to be no way in this. I'm not doing it. But I can't tell him no. Got to change his mind. So I didn't pray for a third week. Well, now things are getting. They're making me nervous. I'm making myself nervous. He's not saying a word. He's not convicting me. He's not dealing with me. Nothing. This is not good. So in for a penny, in for a pound, whatever that means. And so I go the fourth week. I'm going to change his mind. He's not saying a word. I don't pray. And now I'm really getting concerned for myself because some stuff that had long been dead is beginning to rear its head up in my life. And I'm going, Oh, this is not what I'm bargained for. I just don't want to go have that responsibility. I don't want to be that. So, (laughs) finally, after four weeks, I am so desperate. Now I'm no longer tired, but I'm in bad shape. I'm in bad straits. Okay? I had let my flesh get resurrected a little. Some days more than a little. So I, uh, I finally said, I haven't prayed in four weeks and you haven't said a word. Well, you told me you weren't praying so that I changed my mind. And I haven't changed my mind. You're going. I said, Lord, how can you send me to go do that and have that kind of responsibility when uh, I haven't even prayed for four weeks? I did repent of the things I did. I was the only praying I did. And I knew I was forgiven. Isn't that weird? That's weird. But I wasn't praying and submitting myself to God. I wouldn't do any of that. I won't even change his mind. He said, you're going. And out of frustration, I said, if I'm the best you've got to go do that, you're hurting. I said those exact words. He said, you're going. And by the way, All of that stuff I killed in 2003. From now on, any time you don't submit yourself to me so that I live and my faith is living through you, that stuff is going to be right back there. And I'm doing that so that you will never forget who it is that's doing through you, what's being done. And you, others may not realize that, but you will never be tempted to take my glory. And part of taking his glory is making my own decisions. Do I, did I go on those trips? Yeah. But I missed the open door. The door he had opened for me to be used to be of assistance to his kingdom in those places, I had missed the open door. He had moved on, and those brethren never brought it up again, and I sure wasn't bringing it up because I hadn't volunteered for that. And I had to go through a horrible experience at my own hands and God letting me do that to myself just to get me willing to never do that again. But the doors had closed. I don't know what would have happened if I would have allowed God to do through me what those brethren said to me. But I I learned one thing. You don't ever tell God no when he's saying I'm giving you responsibility for this person, this ministry. Not as a organizational oversight, but just a spiritual responsibility to pray for them and to cover them and provide, let me be the bishop. He told me one time, he said, you're not the bishop. There's only one bishop. That's me. All I'm looking for you to do is be, just be the conduit so I can be the bishop through you to whomever I choose. You're not. It's not you. It's me. So you don't get the glory. I get the glory. And it doesn't matter what other people see or think about that, about you because of all that. The only thing that matters is that you let me be the bishop through you. And you let me do whatever I choose to do, wherever I choose to do it, however I choose to do it, through you, saying and doing whatever I give you to do and say, and letting me have all the glory. Well, that was 2000, that was the fall of 2009. It's been a decade since then. And that was the final thing that was necessary for God to do in me to get me to the place that I wasn't going to. Ever desire to live again. I do not want to live again. I don't want to live again. So I am not sitting in this studio talking to the business end of this camera for my sake or my glory because there is no value to my soul in me getting credit for anything. But I sit here by the grace of God exercising the privilege he's given me to just be his conduit so that he can talk about his life and that he can talk about his faith and he can talk about his glory. And I pray that this very personal testimony where I have been as transparent as the Holy ghost would have me to be would help you to understand our God is no respecter of persons. And it's one thing to read what he did for Paul, but I'm telling you what he's done for me. And I'm not special. I'm not extraordinary. I am not so unique that there's not another uh, like me from God's perspective. Yes, I am unique, just, but just as unique as everybody else. Each one of us is unique on our own, and each one of us is equally special to God. And the only thing we can do every day is do what the Son of God did. Seek for and let him reveal to us that we might know and then empower us to do the will of the Father every day, every hour of the day, every moment of every hour of that's what this whole series has been about. All four parts was to bring us to this point. So I can say to you, this is my testimony. Some of you know me by name. Some of you don't eat, watching this, you don't even know me at all. Some of you know me very well. But it doesn't matter because you don't. I don't want you to know me. I want you to know him. And by the grace of God, I've been privileged to sit here, these many lessons, and talk to you about motive, talk to you about what he wants to do in your life. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you would let the grace of God empower you to do his will, that you would let the grace of God help you to surrender your will to him and die through whatever thorn or thorns he brings in your life, that he would give you the grace to not pray those thorns off of you, but he would give you the grace to let them work in your life and produce in you what is his will to produce in you for his kingdom's sake, for his righteousness' sake, For his glory's sake, for thine is the kingdom, for it's his kingdom. It's by his power and it's for his glory in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. And by his love, I love you. Amen.